0: This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. Working on a book? Let us help you get it to print. We can edit your book, design the cover, and help you list it on Amazon's print-on-demand services. See examples of our work and connect with us at HarringtonInteractive.com. In this episode, Andrew Baker shares his talk called "Mercy Triumphs," recorded on September nineteenth, twenty nineteen. Uh, we have we have a, a wonderful morning. Uh, you see this contraption. You see this contraption behind me. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it, but uh, the guy who will. Andrew Baker is our guest speaker this morning. He is on staff as a professor at Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas. He is an advisor to Governor Hutchinson uh, in in Arkansas. Uh, He's one of the most creative guys I know relationally high relational intelligence. But uh, every time we talk, there's, there's something, there's usually a story that involves wood in, in one way or another. And I think that he was either, if you believe in reincarnation, which I don't really, uh, he was either a, a carpenter bee in a previous life or will be a carpenter bee in the next life. <laughs> you've, never, you've never had an introduction like that. Would you please welcome uh, my friend, Andrew Baker. Anybody else wish that God made appointments?
1: <laughs> Have you noticed? He doesn't. There's not one place in Scripture you can show up and God made an appointment. He just shows up. Mary didn't go to bed the night before finding out she was going to be the mother of Jesus to say, Mom, God's going to show up tonight about midnight. It's going to change history forever. I tell students all the time, Have you ever imagined being the mother of Joseph when Joseph came to tell Mom, Mom, Mary's pregnant and I didn't do it. Son, uh, you divorce her quietly. No, Mom, an angel came and told me not to do that. And son, we're going to talk about angels and you and your dad need to have a conversation. (laughs) If Joseph's mom doesn't say yes to the story, we're likely not here this morning. But God didn't make an appointment. No, the way it works is we like to schedule these things called faith. And God says, I don't have a schedule. I just show up. A number of years ago, our family had decided to get into the world of foster care. We were trained. We were ready. My children kept asking, dad, when are we getting a kid? Dad, when are we getting a kid? I don't know. They'll let us know. The a holiday weekend. My wife and son headed to Missouri to see her grandmother. Actually, her grandmother had just been diagnosed then with Alzheimer's, and she was making a trip to go be with her family. I will leave this afternoon to drive to do her grandmother's funeral tomorrow in central Missouri. But they were on their way, and I get an email from the agency we were doing do foster care through, and it says respite needed. That was a subject. Respite needed. If you don't know in the foster care world, that means some foster parents have a kid and they need a break. It was a holiday weekend. I figured somebody backed out. They need a last-minute cover. It said we need respite for a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Girls. Well, I have two girls. Uh, at the time, they were 14 and 12, and I thought, we can do this for the weekend? Sure. So I sent a note to the caseworker. Hey, uh, we could take the girls this weekend. She immediately wrote back, isn't Amy gone? Question mark. To which I wrote back, yes, but we can do this. To which immediately came back, are you sure? Question mark. Well, the plan for the weekend was, Dad, to have time with the daughters. We were going to go to Little Rock. We were going to go shopping. We were going to have some fun. So I figured, we we can do this. And then she wrote back and she said, they have the worst case of lice we've ever seen. Are you sure? Question mark. Lice never killed anybody. It's a pain, I'll tell you that. But it never killed anybody. I said, I'm sure. And so she said, Well, three o'clock, be at the home. And I get there, and I should have paid closer attention, confession. But when I walked in, every employee for the agency we were doing foster care through was present, and every official from the Department of Child and Family Services in our county were present. I'm like, why we got all hands on deck for two kids who are going to respite? And then they come up to me, Mr. Baker, we're so appreciative. They've taken these girls, and here's this packet, and it's a packet of info. And I'm like, why, what, what, what? And I looked at the caseworker who I'd emailed, and I went mouth to her, respite? And she went, I forgot to change the subject line. Yes, you see, these two girls were removed Not pretty that day. A very traumatic experience for them. Their mom actually had ran their dad over with a car. Had you known his state of mind, I understand her defense. Now I'm thinking, Amy, how far to Missouri are you? And then two little girls who had been playing with my daughters in a room come and they wrapped themselves around me and I thought... Got an appointment would be really nice. And they went home, and I Googled and learned all about lice, mayonnaise, shower caps. They had told us in training for foster care you always want to make sure the kids feel like they're in that and everybody's in it together. So I told my girls, all right, we're all wearing shower caps this weekend. (laughs) The youngest one slept for 18 hours. Called my wife, should I wake her up? Do I let her sleep? She said, Is she breathing? Oh, she's breathing. Then let her sleep. Amy gets back with Isaac, and we have these two precious little girls, and yeah, and our life was forever changed. We went to the first staffing. Staffings were all the people related to a foster care case set around a table to decide what's going to happen. When I walked in, the caseworker looked at me and she said, why are you here? I said, "Um, because they live at my house. She goes, foster parents don't come to these. I said, well, this one does. And I said, and I'll be at every court hearing. We're, go- we're gonna be there. She goes, well, most don't. I said, you didn't grow up in my house. See, I grew up in a house with a dad who, he's nuts. He loves to say yes and figure it out later. I have an adopted sister who's two years younger than my mom. Figure that out. Mom was 19, my sister was 17, when she needed to be adopted out of the state of Michigan foster care system because she was in a very violent situation and my dad stood up in a courtroom and said, your honor, if this young lady goes home with who you're sending her home with today, then she'll be dead tomorrow and I'll make sure the whole state of Michigan knows that the blood's on your hands. To which the judge said, who are you? I'm her minister, and, well, sir, will you go on record? I'll go on record. And the caseworker then in 1970, what was that, 73, looked at my dad and said, thank you, but where's she going? Well, she came home with him. It's my second mom. It's not really my sister. But I'm not standing in front of you today if she's not in my life. I guarantee you that. So I understood that. But here we are at a staffing, and they start to talk about these two precious little girls. And we're not very far in, and my wife's right next to me. And I feel this hand underneath the table, and it's on my knee, and it squeezes really hard. And I thought, uh-oh, somebody's in trouble. It's not me, because I haven't opened my mouth. And we're there a little bit longer. And I feel that hand again. And it's a lot harder the second time than it was the first time. Hard enough that I almost want to say something out loud like, Quit we finish and maybe in one of the greatest acts of mercy I've ever seen in the true epitome of what is true of James chapter 2 and verse 13 which says mercy triumphs over judgment I realize why in the world of foster care and social services the faith community likes to use James 127 I wish we didn't I wish we went with 213 why? because our call is to be the most merciful people at the table I watched my wife walk out and hug a mom in a parking lot who was scared to death she would never see her kids again and say, we're on your side. They're going to come home. Easy journey? (laughs) No. But they went home. Now, they still call me Duda. That's a fun one. Why? Well, I'm married to a speech pathologist and said, we have these children coming to our home, but I'm Adam and I'm not their dad. They got a dad. I'm not him. And they got a mom and my wife's not her. Amy said, well, they need these syllable things. It's about development. I'm like, don't tell me about development. And she said, I think I got it figured out. I'm going to be Mamie for all the kids who come to our house and you're going to be Duda. I said, this is great, you sound like a grandma, and I sound like a bowel movement, fantastic. <laughs> I currently have a two-year-old living in my house who came in yesterday morning, doo-dah, doo da and I looked at my wife and said, this is all because of you. It's interesting to have embarked in a journey to find out we need mercy, and we need it quick. When Governor Hutchison was elected, he created what he called the first chance and second chance with Restore Hope. Unfortunately, our state of Arkansas was leading the nation in the percentage of people we send back to jail after they get out, and the percentage of kids in foster care per capita. We started to figure out, wait a minute, these two kind of have an interconnection, because where are you going to go with the kids if you lock mom and dad up? Here's the backside that makes it unfortunate though. We're not sending people back to jail because they re-offend. We're sending them back because they can't pay a fine. Oh, that's great. And where's the kid gonna go? I came in 2016 to an event that's happening today, right now, downtown, here in Nashville, at the Symphony Hall. Uh, It's called Story, one of the best conferences in the country, you guys you, you don't know the significance of what ha- is happening today and tomorrow downtown. Harris III, the curator of that event, is, it's on another planet, what he's doing. But I was at Story, and Harris had brought in that day a guy from, Pol- from Orlando who, after the Pulse shooting, if you remember that horrific event in 2016, he tried to figure out a way to get his community to come together. And one of the things he did was he created an event in downtown Orlando for those of the arts to just show up and do what they do. And then he created a tree in downtown Orlando made of wood, weirdest looking thing you've ever seen, but he wanted it to represent the diversity that was that community and the greater good that was being done. He was bringing mercy in the face of something horrible. I was in the throes of working with criminal justice in our state and working with foster care, trying to help college students see a picture and working at a university who does a lot of good, but sometimes at a university who's put out a buffet of service instead of a diet of service. Buffets usually just make us fat, even though this one's fantastic. Instead of having a diet of seeing how intentional we can be to make the world around us better. I went to our university president because Our campus has, every year at Christmas, a million Christmas lights. It's crazy, it's beautiful, but they're all white. And I went to the president and I said, okay, I have an idea. I want to create a tree that's going to communicate our belief in making our community better. We're going to sell ornaments to go on that tree to raise money for foster kids at Christmas are you game for that? And he said, yeah, I'd be game for that. I said, and I wanna make it a color tree. I want the lights to have color in contrast to all of our white lights. I want it to like stick out like a sore thumb. And I said, I think I'd love to put it in the middle of the front lawn and make it like 20 feet high. And he chuckled and goes, you're crazy, but I'll check. I gotta check with the committee. I get a phone call back from him, no surprise. The committee said no. He said, but find another place on campus and do it. I said, done. Went to a woodworking buddy. Uh, Wes introduced me. I know nothing about wood, guys. It's not even even remotely. It definitely wasn't in a previous life, and I doubt it's in the next life. But I went to a woodworking buddy, and I said, I need a tree that's connected to Christmas that tells the story that we believe that people can be better. He said, that's all my instruction. I said, yeah, and it needs to be like 19 feet tall. We went back and forth over Thanksgiving in 2016 about what this tree could look like. And finally, at the end of Thanksgiving break, I'm in Missouri. I get a text message from him. He said, what about this? And I pressed play, and when I saw it, it was this tree that you see right here, but it was 19 feet tall. And I said, you got it. That's it. I say, because that's the restore hope tree. That's a tree about people who are taking a step to see higher and see further than they've ever seen before. But it's a story also about how I need to be a person who stands wherever I am in this walk called life and know that I can look above me and be given guidance and I can look below me and give guidance. Because realize we're all in this together. Because see, that table that I had a seat at with a mom and a dad who were convinced there was nobody in this world on their side. So we did it, well Joey turned around and posted it into social media, gotta love social media, because within a week they had 15 million views about this tree. And our president said, I think you've created a hysteria. I don't think we created a hysteria, but we created an awareness, because awareness matters. I went to meet with a large South region, and I can't say who because of now contractual agreements, but just a major store, I'll say it that way. And I met with one of their guys and I said, hey, I'd, I'd like to see about doing something with you guys at the point of sale to raise money with the Restore Hope Tree. And he smiled at me and he said, we don't do charity. I was like, well, never mind." He said, but give me something to sell and I'll sell it and I'll give it all to you. Hmm. So I went back to Joey and I said, Joey, you know that 19-foot tree? And he said, yeah. I said, I need it three feet high. I need it to sit on a table. Okay. We can figure that out. I took this back to that individual. And I said, how about this? And he said, I want to order him to sell them in 2020 Christmas season. So they're in process, but this is one of the original seven that's behind me. Why do we create those? Because a bank in Arkansas figured out, we have a problem. We like to give charity at the season and don't realize that in so doing, we don't always help. You see, foster kids want to know that they're not second thought of kids. How do we change that? Well, we went to a bank and we said, can we put these trees in your lobby? And can we raise the money in October instead of December? And are we going to be okay if we don't just help the kid, but we help their parents as well? Why? Because every kid who's ever come to my home has wanted to go home. And if I want my kids to stay in mine, then I should desire for them to be able to stay in theirs. Most people believe that we remove kids in our country because of abuse, whether physical or sexual abuse. The reality is we do remove kids for that and we should. That's just 6% of the kids we remove. 94% of the kids we remove, we remove for environmental neglect. We remove them because mom and dad are poor. wait a minute, we can do better. We can do better. Those two little girls that came to our house at the beginning, they call themselves the foster cousins. Uh, and yesterday, let's turn this off for a second, if you don't mind. I asked him to turn it off because I can tell you this publicly. Get out and we're coming in, I laughed with Wes because I said, you know, it's funny. This is kind of where the whole initiative for Red Door Table started. Because in 2016, we came up with the idea of a tree. Thank you to the Story Conference. In 2017, I was back here for the Story Conference. But at that weekend, after it was over on Friday, we had a wedding of a former Hardish student here in Nashville. And we stayed for that. And we came downtown because the student said, we need to come hang out in Franklin because it's Mayberry of America. I had no idea. In case you were wondering, that's what they thought. So the first thing they wanted to do was go to the frothy monkey. I was like, sounds like a weird name to me. What you didn't know is at that time, I didn't have a dining room table at my house. Why? Because I knocked out a wall to try to have more space for kids to come and eat at our table. It's a big deal to be around the table. I firmly believe that in the world of foster care, the process of healing begins when biological parents and foster parents and the children share a meal together. Just watch Jesus. He's good at this. Like Mark, every place you look, he's eating. Wow. And I don't think he ever cared about the food. He just knew the significance of the table. And for these children to see that your mom and dad have a place at my table, I'm not scared of them. Why should I be scared of them? If God's not scared of them, I'm sure not. And so we said, we got to find a table. I'm a cheapskate, and I'm not a wood guy. And I kept saying, well, maybe we'll make one. And my wife's like, yeah, right. You're not going to make any. My dad would do it. Oh, there's another man card pool right there. Go to the father-in-law. Wonderful. (laughs) So we're at the Frothy Monkey. I look, and they have these old oak doors that they've turned into tables. And I'm like, that's brilliant. I said to Amy, I said, what if we did that? And she said, you could do that. I was like, I can go to Habitat for Humanity. I can buy a door, and we'll be good to go and then we walked down to the used bookstore you guys have somewhere down here around the corner and uh, my daughter thought she'd died and gone to heaven my two oldest are really big book people actually they just opened a bookstore in Searcy it's a used bookstore to benefit foster care so all the profit of their store goes to foster care but I walk in trying to get her to get out and I find this old book it's an architecture book it said in colonial America a red front door meant safety and belonging had no idea so I said to my wife Amy, I said, what if we were to get a door and paint it red and make that our dining room table? We're gonna paint the bottom of it white so that every kid who ever stays at our house will sign the bottom of the table to know they have a place here forever. Because when you leave my house, I'm still showing up. And then we came, and I was telling earlier, we came to Puckett's for dinner that night and I saw that they had wheels and I thought that was cool. So we added wheels to the bottom of the tables. Because why do we ever think the table had to be stationary? Our table needs to be moving. Our table needs to be moving throughout our community. The craziest part in that whole deal is I got back to Arkansas and got a phone call from somebody related to the governor's office and they said, ACI would like to meet with you. I thought it sounded like the FBI. I said, who's ACI? I said, Arkansas Correction Industries. What did I do illegal? nothing. They just want to meet with you. So I went to meet with the corrections official and he said, I've heard about your tables. We think they're really, really cool. What we would like to know is if you'd be okay if the prisoners made those for you. We were already working on them making these and I said, that sounds like a great idea to me. We got a paint color. It's called Belonging Red. Looks like safety red. And I had delivered some paint to the Department of Corrections. I actually was late, and the long story, bottom line, I didn't pay attention to my GPS, I came in backwards to the maximum security facility and freaked everybody out. That's what happened. So I'm standing at the gate to deliver this paint, and this guy says, sir, you have to wait, you have to wait for a supervisor, you've got us all in trouble, and I was like, I just followed the GPS, bro. And then the supervisor's like, Well, I'm glad you're here. I really got to go. I'm supposed to be at a meeting at the governor's office. I said, I got, she said, Well, and I thought, I got people in trouble. I need to be cooperative. She walks me all the way back into the facility where they're painting the tables. And I walked in the room, and I, it's a huge paint shop. And I said, Do you guys even know what this is about? They said, No, it seems really stupid to us. Why would you paint one side red and one side white? We figured it's some crazy Arkansas fan. <laughs> I am not that. So, guys, here's the story. Colonial America, red meant Safety and Belonging. It actually goes all the way back to the Israelites painting the doorpost. And we live in a time in which people need to know there's a place that they are safe and a place in which they belong. And you guys are painting them red on top for these tables to go into restaurants, for these tables to go into foster homes, and you're painting white on bottom so every kid can sign their name to the bottom and know they always have a place that they belong they always have a place where they can experience mercy triumphing over judgment. Oh, cool. I left, and I drove rather quickly to make it where I was supposed to be. And I get a call from the supervisor, and she said, Hey, I just want to check with you about one thing. And I said, Yeah, what's that? She said, You really motivated these guys. They're all kinds of excited now, but they have one question. I said, What's that? She said, They want to know if they can sign their name to the tables, too. And I said, absolutely. When they were delivered, first thing I did was to look at their names and they weren't there. I called back and said to the supervisor, I thought they were gonna sign their names to the bottom of the table. She said they did. And then they covered them up because they didn't want you to get in trouble. I said, don't ever let them do that again because we all have a place at the table. When we realize that mercy truly does triumph over judgment. It's a game changer. It's the opportunity that we have. And personally, I'm kind of glad God doesn't make appointments. Because when he just shows up and we get to be merciful, it's a whole lot of fun. Thank you, guys.
0: You've been listening to the New Canaan Society Podcast. For the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media and get your book to print. They edit, package, and help you put your book on Amazon if you're an author, organization, or a publisher. That's HarringtonInteractive.com.